Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways that provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello and welcome to RIA Edge. This is Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And we are thrilled to have a very special guest here today, Anthony DeCellis, the CEO of SVB Private. Anthony, thank you so much for being here. We've seen and heard a lot about what you're doing in SVB in the news. So appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Mark. Nice to be here with you today. And I appreciate the invitation. As our audience knows, obviously the number one topic here at RIA Edge is growth. Uh, There are so many different ways that RIAs can grow and have been growing over the last several years. Interesting to see where we are now with some of the movement in the equity markets, more and more discussion about around how little advisors can count on market appreciation to drive growth for the first time in a really long time, actually, which makes the discussion about M&A and organic growth that much more important. I mean, it's why I'm really excited to dive in and learn a little bit about some of the things that you've done at SVB to grow, but also very much what it is that you're looking to do to actively grow across 2022 and beyond. Before we get into some of the specifics though, well, I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with you and your firm from a distance, I think it'd be great just to hear in your own words. I mean, tell us a little bit about the history and the formation of SVB private and some of the areas of focus or specialization. Happy to do that. And you're right, you know, SVB, we certainly in Silicon Valley and in the innovation economy is is very well known, but I'm often surprised as as well as, you know, based on client deposits, I think we're the ninth or 10th largest uh, bank in the United States now, and we're we're probably not as widely known as we as we should uh, be because of our of our size. And a lot of that has to do with our, with our focus um, on the innovation economy. So SVB has been around for about 40 years. It's probably best known for its presence in the innovation economy than the commercial banks activities there in particular. But in, in recent decades, or in, in really in the, in the most recent decade, SVB has you know, expanded its, its business model to include three additional pillars. Uh, the investment bank, which you probably you know read more and more about, given you know their significant presence, starting with health sciences and now increasingly in tech. And then there's SVB Capital, which focuses also its investments, as you would expect, in the innovation economy. And most recently, um, the acquisition of Boston Private, where I was the the CEO, we committed, completed that acquisition July 1st of 2022. So we'll be coming up on our one year anniversary here quickly, and and in in that business, we we run a traditional private bank, wealth management, um, and trust business. So to round out, you know, the sort of a complete financial services offering for for the innovation economy, you know, coming out of SVB. Yeah, I appreciate that. We're certainly you know we reported so those, on those are the four main businesses. Um, yep. You know, at the yeah. firm, happy to talk about all of them, but I, I imagine we're here to talk about the the private bank and wealth business. Yeah, and it's great to have that context, right? Because while you do have those four areas of focus, um, you do have you know the backing of a broader financial services organization, and it's always good to see you know how 
SVB as a company is prioritizing the wealth space and how you view opportunities there. We reported on the Boston Private deal last year, and I think it was one of the largest deals of 2021. Um, I'd love to just get a a little bit of a sense from you. There are so many, you mentioned just the the acquisition that you did, and obviously many, many other deals that have taken place. I think there were over 300 that took place last year alone. As you're looking at opportunities at the SVB level, what are some of the things that you're looking for right, in terms of talent? It could be a firm, it could be a team, it could be an individual. And then from a value proposition perspective, what specific problem do you solve for advisors in the market? Yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, it's a great question. I'll start with what the ideal is for us, which is we we want you know teams ideally that have a, a really close nexus to the innovation economy, and not just you know a close nexus to the innovation economy, but also are you know very solutions and outcome oriented as opposed to product uh, oriented. So let me explain a little bit about you know what I what I mean by that. SVB, of course, will offer the traditional services that you would imagine any any bank to offer, right? So you, you got to have that that price of poker uh, to be to be in the business, and we do that. So what I mean by that is all, all the basic you know banking and financial services um, you could imagine. Where we try to distinguish ourselves and what we're where we're looking for um, you know specific talent is those who really understand the unique needs of uh, people involved in the innovation economy. And so, you know, people who are starting companies, people who have a lot of their wealth in in concentrated private stock, it's, you know, independent uh, or, or private business owners have this, you know, challenge as well, but it it becomes you know a little bit more complex for those who are accessing capital markets in a in a different way. So they're dealing with whether it's venture capital or private equity. So understanding that that world is an area where we look to distinguish our, ourselves and think we all have great advice to offer. There's also a solution set around uh, people who are either being paid in private stock or are the founders of the company. You know, companies are staying private a lot longer these days, right? There's fewer public companies today than there were 10 years ago. And so there's often a need for liquidity. People don't necessarily want to sell their their stock, but they want to buy a house, right? Or they're educating their children. And so they need a way to get some liquidity there. So there's a couple of ways we can we can do that. We're you know one of the firms who really does know how to lend against private stock. And, it, and importantly, we're also, you know, given our client base, we can really help advise clients on getting wealth to the next generation. We were having a conversation before this call about some prominent people and how they think about, you know, moving wealth to the next generation. That's certainly, you know, a big topic inside Silicon Valley, inside the innovation economy is, you know, what are intelligent things you can do to get money to the next generation to minimize tax. It's just a bit more, you know, complex than someone who is a normal W-2 employee or has, all of their, you know, let's say in, a, in, in publicly traded securities. And so we think people who understand that world, uh, people who have experience in advising those particular, you know, families, and again, folks who, who see themselves truly as advisors, you know, who sit down with a client looking at, you know, really outcomes and solutions as opposed to, you know, what sort of a product can I get in this portfolio? Those are typically not the best fit for us. More people who are genuine advisors who really take a planning approach is, is what we're looking for. 
Uh, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that too. It's helpful to really understand. Obviously, you've been very successful. You've grown quite a bit, grown through acquisition, grown organically. And we've had a couple of episodes of RA Edge recently where we've just talked with firms that have a really clearly defined end client. And I hesitate to call it a niche because it's, it's not, but you know who you want to be working with. And when you have that kind of focus, you tend to grow faster than firms that are just I agree. Gen- generally and broadly managing wealth. I imagine though, it makes it more difficult for you, whether you're looking to acquire or you're looking to hire and recruit. Um, they really have to have a, a, a certain type of fit. I know you mentioned the planning focus, but are there certain characteristics that you look for when you're you know, evaluating an acquisition opportunity or potentially looking at recruiting a team to SVP private? So you've touched on a, a couple of interesting things there. The, you know, the, the first is, you know, who are we? I think I touched a little bit on, you know, kind of who are we, you know, trying to serve as a firm, right? So the, the innovation economy clients, um, ideally people come in already having that skill set. One of the unique things about SVB and why we did, um, you know, the merger with Boston Private and Boston Private wasn't a, a company that was uh, for sale. It just made sense when we saw the opportunity with SVB. They have a, a great existing client base uh, that the commercial bank's been serving for decades that has expanded needs, investment needs, investment banking needs, private client needs. So we were looking for advisors that also will take a broader look. And they may come in through the private bank, they may come in through the commercial bank, they may come in to the investment bank, but we are looking for advisors who will know how to spot a commercial banking need or, or opportunity to know how to spot an investment banking need or opportunity. So even though you may not have that solution in, inside the business that you're working within, that you have the experience and the skill and the knowledge to say, you know what, we need to bring in an investment banking colleague here. We need to bring in a commercial banking colleague here because the way we talk about it at our firm is this idea of one SVB. So regardless of what door a client comes through, you know, their advisor will have a, you know, a view into the entire organization and, and how the entire organization might serve that client. And that's you know, one of the areas that we do think is a, is a distinct advantage for us because it's not just one business that understands an innovation economy client, it's our entire business model. Investment banking is you know, hyper-focused on health sciences and technology. Commercial bank is purely focused there. And our private bank um, has geared itself now being everything to the innovation uh, economy, including you know, some investments we've made away from the firm. You've probably heard about NASDAQ private markets where we're you know, the second largest, you know, investor and shareholder there alongside Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley and City. And that really is to provide liquidity, you know, in, in private stock, you know, on a, which is becoming a much more active market, as you, you're probably aware. Oh, absolutely. And I think you're, you're in a very unique position in the marketplace because of the different businesses that you have under SVB. And it's also a very unique market, period. Um, what I mean by that is you have so many advisors right now who are still trying to solve for or put together at least a plan you know, for their succession. From an M&A perspective, you know, valuations are as high as they've ever been, but there are also more buyers, more professional buyers um, than ever before. There's more capital yeah. coming into the space than ever before. So I am curious, you know, maybe not from an SVB perspective, but from your view, I mean, well, how would you summarize the current M&A market, as well as the opportunity that exists right now? 
So, yeah, the financial buyers um, and strategic buyers, but let's start with the financial buyers, like, you know, the private equity shops out there, they go where they see growth, right? And and the RIA segment has been the fastest uh, growing segment of the wealth management space, right? You've got more and more advisors who are, because of the you know, the opportunity and flexibility they have to start their own business more and more have been been spinning out. And so there's, you know, there is, it's caught the attention of a lot of the financial buyers. And it's also, about, you know, caught the attention of strategic buyers if they can take an RIA of five or 10 billion in size and leverage that inside of their, of their own organization. Um, the recent market activity is probably, I, I haven't, you know, gotten updated sort of, um, information from some of the advisors and investment banks out there in the last couple of weeks. But I suspect the recent market activity has probably softened, you know, some of the price expectation out there, but they still are, you know, you know, pretty high. You know, businesses selling, you know, between 15 and 20 times the EBITDA would have been absolutely unheard of as little as five years ago, right? That would have been just sure. seen as ludicrous. I, I expect the, the valuations to stay uh, certainly at the high end of the historic range because I expect that RAAs will continue to be to continue to grow because frankly their ability to be competitive keeps getting strong, right? They they keep they, there's platforms available to them. There's big financial services firms who make back office and capabilities you know available to them. So the, I, I think the you know the space will continue to to continue to grow and and people want to get in and particularly foreign buyers who want to get into the US market we've seen some of the canadian investors you know becoming more and more active and so while prices short term probably have softened a little bit i expect it'll be a very robust m&a environment yeah i would agree i think especially you know, if you break the m&a market out and you look at the high quality firms that are out there those will always be in demand regardless of what the you know, M&A landscape looks like, and there's just a short supply. There's only so many firms that have more than a billion or 2 billion in assets under management. And a lot of them are still growing too, right? So I think that actually leads to you know, my next set of questions for you. It's just around growth in general. Um, you've had some exceptional growth. I'm sure that there are even more growth opportunities out there that you've identified that are consistent with the way you have been growing. But I would love just to get your sort of philosophical view on growth, how do you think about growth right, as a company? And then how do you make sure that it's something that everybody across the SVP you know, enterprise embraces and acts on on a regular basis? Sure. So maybe let's let's start with where we just you know uh, ended our discussion on kind of the current environment for RIAs. What what clients have I think shown us is that they prefer um, you know a, a fiduciary model right a, a a best interest model right so an ria model as opposed to a a broker dealer model now a lot of times people don't, well what's the difference you know if you're part of finra you have a best interest obligation you know you know they're they're trying to make it look like closer and closer but the reality is is you know those who are operating as an ria truly have a fiduciary obligation where somebody operating uh, in a broker dealer model while they have the best interest obligation is still not to the to the level of let's say an RIA and clients are showing us that they really prefer that that, that uh, fiduciary model. So when you're going to grow, I think that while you want to have all the capabilities, of course you need execution capabilities to position yourself in the market as a fiduciary, as somebody who is going to you know act in the be not only act in but be obligated to act in the best interest of the client. 
So we start there. That's that's the model that you want to have. When we when we look at growth, we're you know we we mentioned that SBB is is somewhat unique, and one of the really you know, unique opportunities we have is that we have an embedded client base at the, the commercial bank that has shared with uh, with SVB over the years that it it would welcome expanded services. So we have a great starting point. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I won't bore you with the stats at SVB, but if you're looking at, you know, tech companies going public on the Nasdaq or health sciences companies going public on the Nasdaq, um, there's a better than 50-50 chance that they're one of our clients. Right. So there is an existing client base that we can, you know, before we have to look outside the firm, we can look inside the firm to grow. And this is a great recruiting tool for us. This is a great, this is how we can sort of compete, whether someone's thinking of starting their own RIA or someone's thinking, you know, of, of maybe choosing another firm. We offer an opportunity to, to grow, given we're just beginning to scratch the surface on, on those opportunities. And so that's why we, we will have RIAs that reach out to us, either about partnering or wanting to do something more formal with the firm. And we're in, increasingly, I think, a place of interest for you know, more traditional advisors out there. The reality is, though, is there's a very small segment of, of the advisor population that we're interested in, given our, you know, our, our intense focus on the innovation economy and also the fact that we're really not looking for product salespeople. We're looking for, um, you know, advisors. And, and that's why I think the RA market has grown so much is because it's being, a lot of people think that this is like the idea of the advisors. I mean, it's really client, clients are increasingly showing that they prefer that model, right? And so that is what's allowed people to spin out and, and really have a great story to tell their clients when they spin out and when they go start an RIA. I'm curious, when you look at the way your advisors are interacting with clients today and you see you know, the most successful relationships, uh, you know, the ones where you know, maybe they're, you're managing a portion of their wealth, maybe you're managing all of it, but they don't have relationships with other parts of SVB. What are they doing? And more specifically, what have they been doing differently over the last couple of years, particularly when, you know, we haven't been able to get together in person like most advisors used to? Yeah, great question. So for a large part of my, you know, career, I would always say to to clients, I I mean, I work at three big firms in my career, Merrill, UBS, and Credits. And I would always say, and I was always focused on the high end of the market there. And I would always say to clients, you know, I, I met them after they were really successful, right? So they had already achieved usually an extraordinary um, position of wealth. And then we we came in to sort of help them with that. At SVB, it's it's really different. SVB has been there from the start. And so it's a it's a different type of of relationship where the wealth has sort of grown up inside the firm and then they're kind of handing you know the ball to the to the private bank or the investment bank whichever the case may be. What I have seen, you know, in the clients that sort of have managed you know, the, the last 10 years, well, I mean, when you look at clients who have, have done well and managed to keep that wealth, they've remained really humble from the standpoint that when they, when they make that wealth, there's a sense of that there was also a bit of luck involved in timing. And so they're very, they're very humble uh, about sort of taking, you know, advice uh, about, you know, what do you do? Because most of them have a, an intense, concentrated position, right? They're usually first generation, and you know, they're a lot of them have been bootstrapped uh, before they got VC or, or private equity money. 
And suddenly they find themselves with an extraordinary amount of wealth. And some of them, you know, will think, oh, well, it's worth $100 million today. I'll just hang on and it'll be worth $500 million. The ones who have done really well have taken advice to make sure, you know, that they're being prudent when it comes to managing a concentrated position in terms of, in terms of risk, right? So, yes, everybody wants to be, you know, Bill Gates and hold on to the position and you know, have it be worth $100 billion one day. But the, the accounts that I'm looking at in these in the most recent market turmoil are those who have really kind of been, you know, thoughtful and have been have been willing to listen to the ideas of portfolio construction, even though you look at them right in the eye and say, now you realize that this will take away the dramatic upside, right? If we diversify away from this, you don't get rid of the concentrated position, but you, when, uh, when you can, you diversify away from it. So you won't have that hockey stick, but you also, you, you know, you run a money crawl analysis for them and show them that you're also really trying to limit, you know, that, that black swan risk or, or that long tail risk. And the ones that have done well have, uh, have appreciated that and, and, and been prudent, right? And so it, and it really helps whether this, you know, whether this type of volatility we're having now where the average stock in the NASDAQ is probably down, I don't know, 50% or somewhere thereabouts. Yeah. And I appreciate that too. It just trying to drive home how unique your position is, or usually your advisor's position is in the decision-making and planning, you know, processes for all of your clients. And I'm curious, I mean, well, a lot of our listeners, you know, they're obviously smaller on average than you and your firm are. Is there any piece of advice that you would give to you know, a listener who's running an RIA that might be in the 250 million to say 500 million in assets under management range? Um, maybe they have you know five to 10 employees, uh, but they're growth oriented and they're thinking about how to get to a billion and how to get to you know two billion after that, um, and I know there's a lot that has to happen, right, to make that leap and navigate the quote you know valley of death that we talk about here yeah. all the time when we want to be dramatic. But is there anything that you would give as just that sort of one piece of advice to figure out how to get to the next to two point in their growth trajectory? Well, I, I think you know there's probably no rocket science in there. It's 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 not so much whether you have the right idea, it's about the execution and the implementation, right? And so the advice that I would give is be really clear and consistent on who you are and, and who you are not, right? And so what I, I and I'll, I'll try to, I'll give you an example of, of kind of what I usually say to, to clients, particularly when I was a very, you know, a really, you know, large bulge bracket firms. You know, what normally happens, particularly when you work in, you know, New York City is somebody sells a company somewhere in the United States and they fly into New York and they, um, you know, do the roadshow, right? Of all the, you know, the big names and they just try to figure out, okay, who should I give this, you know, families run a business for a generation or two and now there's been a liquidity event and who do we entrust with that? And so they come in to sort of hear, um, you know, the different offerings. And when I would meet these clients, I would generally say, okay, you've met with, you know, these three firms or whatever, and you're wondering what the hell the difference is between any of us. And they would almost breathe a sigh of relief and say, yeah, you know, what, what is the difference? And I'd say, well, we're all number one. You just need to look at the dates on the performance sheets. Right. Um, <laughs> and that would take me to kind of just sort of laugh, laughing with them and saying, look, um, here's what you should, here's what you should uh, believe, you know, going into this is that the firms you're visiting, all, all of them have 
you know, the capacity to do really, you know, well for you. They all, they all have at their fingertips what they would need. And the analogy I'd always give them is I said, imagine going into a doctor's office and the doctor saying, you know, you really ought to, you know, select me as your surgeon because I can buy from my tools from U.S. Surgical or, you know, Merck, you know, really gives me the, the real good drugs. You would kind of laugh and leave, leave that office, right? I mean, you're, you're choosing that surgeon, particularly if it's a complex surgery, based on their experience or, you know, their knowledge, their skill level. The few surgeries I've had in my life, I've always asked one question. How many times have you done this before? Right. Yeah. And so what I would tell clients is, look, assume that everybody can reach for the same things. Yes, everyone will say they've got a co-investment vehicle. That no, it, You should assume that everybody can reach for the same things. What's going to distinguish them is do they genuinely work with families like yours day in and day out? And why does that matter? Because if they do their job well, particularly since these are first-generation families, if they do their job well, what they learn will accrue to your benefit, right? So if you're an RIA, you should, you should make you know, the point with your clients that you are specifically geared to working with families like theirs that in that process, you will talk to a lot of the best law firms in the world, a lot of us or in the country, a lot of best accounting firms. You will see a lot of ideal flow. You will see great things you know, that are done, good decisions that are made, as well as the bad decisions that are made. And that goes to, you know, everybody thinks it's about investments. It can be about, you got four children, they're completely different, and you're trying to figure out how the trust should be organized, right? Or you've taken a concentrated position and your family has exposure, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic, and how do you handle that sort of a, you know, of a hedge and, and what are the tax implications for that? What you want is when you bring, you know, I would say to clients, there's no possible way we could talk about all the things that can happen, you know, in your life. What you have to leave with is a, is a, a sense of confidence that when something does happen, you will, you know, pick up the phone and call us and you probably won't hear, oh, that's interesting. You know, we've never seen that before. There's a high probability We've probably see, we've seen that. So if you're an RIA that's holding yourself out to, you know, clients, you can say, look, I can if I want a structured note, I'll have Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan competing for it by this afternoon. I can reach for the products that I need. The reason you want to do business with us is first and foremost, hopefully, it's, it's all based on trust always, but because that they are genuinely focused on working with a, you know, with in our case, innovation economy families. But they probably are making, you know, their business or have their business focused or dedicated toward a certain segment of of clients because complexity does increase as wealth increases. And so my advice to them is to be really about what you do, what you don't do, and don't try to compete on on performance. That's a a losing game. I mean, there's always going to be someone out there who's got a better quarterly performance. You have to compete on what your approach is what you do and what you do not do. Yeah, I appreciate that because you know, that sort of success just leads to more, right? Success, Absolutely. we've seen it. Once you've built that community um, within your referral, community, right? that's right, which tends to be the lifeblood for some of the most, and some of the fastest growing firms that we talk to here on RA Edge. So Anthony, thank you so much for taking some time out to sit with me and walk us through some of the things that you've been doing over the last couple of years. We've, like I said, observed SVB from a distance and seen a lot of great things, but it was unbelievable to get up close and also get your view on the future and your advice for other listeners out there who are trying to figure out how to make the leap, right? 
and yeah. go from 250 to 500, 500 to a billion or whatever their growth goals may be. So I appreciate all the insights you share here today. Well, if, they're, if they really want to go to 500 to a billion or a billion to 2 billion fast, they should probably talk to us. <laughs> it's a good it, and you know what it's it's a good way to sort of summarize the state of the state you know MA used to just be a way to for an advisor to put together a succession plan or an exit strategy there are so many firms that are engaging in MA activity and are, that are still in growth mode whether yeah. you know it's a sell and stay situation it's a minority investment yeah you know, there are more options than ever and that's one of the reasons we do this show and one of the reasons we wanted to have you on here today. So thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it, Anthony. Thanks for having me, uh, Mark. Now that COVID seems like it's you know starting to, to dwindle, at least we hope so. I hope I get to see you in person uh, before too long. Same here. We are uh, big fans of shifting from pandemic to endemic. So we are also looking forward to seeing everybody very soon at our first big face-to-face event in just a few weeks in Hollywood, Florida, the Wealth Management Edge event and the first all week RIA Edge uh, workshop and event series that we'll be producing in 2022. So on behalf of the Wealth Management and the Informa Wealth Management Group, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of RIA Edge. Thank you, Anthony, very much for joining us. And we hope to see you all on an episode of RIA Edge very soon.